Welcome back to the Mulligan Brothers podcast. I am your host, Jordan Mulligan, and today's episode is with Adam Ocean Walker, one of the greatest endurance swimmers who has dealt with some of the wildest adventures in the oceans. These stories are some of the most powerful and motivational stories, especially if you like the idea of exploring moments from the adventures in the sea. We're talking about shark attacks. We're talking about dolphins saving his life. Man of war jellyfish things. Honestly, Adam Ocean Walker's swimming feats and swimming stories are some of the most frightening, but also some of the most inspiring stories that I have ever heard. Today's podcast was made possible with everybody's support at www mulliganbrothers.com. Everybody who has bought an Inspire Change t-shirt, a hoodie, the journal, you guys have helped make this possible. All our profits go back into creating this content, to creating the documentaries, to creating the films on YouTube. There is now an offer with the podcast. Use code podcast at checkout for 10% off the Momentum Mori poster, a poster to remind you that you are going to die. It's an interactive poster with 80 years on there of tiny little squares that you fill in every single week. And it's a reminder that time is precious. And one day we do not know if we are going to be here. It's the most motivational tool that I have used over the past year. I had a realization the other day when I looked at the fridge. I might have told you this before, but I had a realization that there is a square on there that will not see the ink from my pen because I'll be dead. And to me, that is motivational. I don't know for if, if it's morbid, but it helps me. It makes me realize that I want to make an impact with the time that I have every single day. But before that, Adam Ocean Walker. This man has broken world records. He has been the first man to do many of his feats of endurance and just faced some of the most scary and difficult swims that anybody has ever dealt with. He developed his own swim style, and he's going to explain exactly why he had to do that because of injuries and complications that he had to develop this this system that would allow him to be more efficient through the oceans, cutting through waves, cutting through tides, avoiding sharks, avoiding uh, jellyfish, swimming through oceans of jellyfish. Honestly, this man has been through it. So let's not hold this back any longer. Let's dive into this amazing podcast with Adam Ocean Walker. Yeah, so my name's Adam Walker. People now call me Adam Ocean Walker. I'm the first British person to swim the toughest seven ocean swims in the world. So can you just tell me a little bit what the Ocean Seven entails, what it's all about? Yeah, so the Ocean Seven uh, was handpicked by a guy who was the swim coach of the US Open Water Swim Team, and he's very well respected. And he said, these are the seven toughest ocean swims in the world for various different reasons. Extreme cold temperatures is one of them. Deadly marine life is another. Currents, tides, wind, uh, you name it. And it's effectively man versus ocean. So, yeah, that's that's what it is. Various different nature challenges that you're going to get. I can imagine that it, it takes a lot for somebody to take on these challenges. And I'm, I'm quite interested in the story before you even got to the challenge. So 
in your younger years, what was life like? Where did you grow up? Can you give me a little bit of description about that? Yeah, so I grew up in Nottingham and I've always been interested in sports. I played a lot of cricket, anything, any sport really. But I guess I played more cricket than, than anything else. As a kid, I used to race 50 metres backstroke. So it was always backstroke, it was never front crawl, which is what I've obviously done for the ocean swimming. So there was never any long distance in me and there was never any, any it was all about sprinting on my back. I played rugby, but the sport thing was always there. I always wanted to be a professional. That was the dream in something. But I always got injured with something. I had my first operation at 13 on my right knee, had a dislocation on my left knee at 16, another dislocation at 18. And I really felt when I was younger, it was going to be the story of, oh, could this guy have been something? And I go down like many other people that, you know, could have been this, could have been that, but injury, injury took me over. and. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be remembered for, well, I could have been this professional athlete and it never happened. Swimming the Seven, seven Oceans and, and just say, listening to what you've said now, this guy who could have been, how important was it for you not to be this guy who could have been, this guy who could potentially, this guy who maybe would have had? How important was that to not be that person? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody wants to have a marker down in their life. Everybody wants to achieve something. I think that's why we're on the planet for, not just to exist. And it depends on your makeup. For me, I've always been very competitive as a kid. My dad always used to say, give it everything, son, give everything. Don't give up, don't give up. And, and he was ringing through my head, actually, when I did the training for the ocean swimming. I, he was giving me motivation. I could hear him as a kid. And I remember when I used to swim backstroke and I was 10 years old and I'd come in and, and I'd tell him if I'd won or if I'd come second. I didn't want to tell him I'd come second because I wanted to be a winner and my dad was all about succeeding and winning and, and he was in a, a high-powered sales job. So kind of he brought us up to, to give it everything and succeed and, and, and do your best at least to succeed. So that was always been embedded inside me. And as I say, from, from ever since I can remember, I remember being at school looking out the window in all these subjects, which maybe I wasn't so interested in thinking, when do I go outside and play rugby? When do I do athletics or you know, something involving sport? So that was always inside me, that sport um, aspect. I wasn't really interested in, in too many other things. And that's why I guess I went on to do a sports science degree but you know the dream was to do it as a profession and I felt after the injuries maybe that was going to happen but I didn't want to let that go in my mind. We were going to get onto the Ocean 7 but can you think of any time maybe when you were younger that there was a slight inkling that you might do something like open or water swimming um, but you obviously didn't know that you was going to reach the lengths and the heights that you, you have? Nothing for open water swimming. No, no. I mean, if I look back sort of 15 years, there was just nothing there. I got inspired by a film on an aeroplane, which is how the story went, the light bulb moment by watching. But, you know, we can talk about that. Um, but, yeah, there was nothing actually in my childhood that said this guy is going to be a long-distance swimmer. In fact, I was all about sprinting. I didn't really train much as a kid in pool swimming. I sort of winged it a little bit, so I... I just kind of turned up, had good speed, and did my 50 metres backstroke. I didn't even do 100 metres backstroke because that was seen as long distance to me. I certainly wouldn't do 208 lengths. That was really long distance. So it was a little bit of later on, you know, what you weren't good at. See if you can master what you weren't good at because there was nothing there that said that I could be this swimmer. And I think that's important for a lot of people, actually, because you don't know what you're going to be great at 
until you get that moment and work at something as well because a lot of people say I couldn't do what you do how do you know if you want it enough maybe you can you by what you've just described to me you sound like somebody who was a bit of an average swimmer and you swam swam in your early stages of life but you're on a plane and you end up watching a film and you've never done any open water swimming before but now you've decided that you're going to swim the British Channel that's the first one in terms of your mindset on that plane, what, what's that light bulb moment? What clicks? How do you know that at this point in time you're going to go on and you're going to swim the channel? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy really. I think in your life you have to be at a moment where you're open to change, whatever it is. And at that moment I was open to change, open to taking something on. And by putting that movie on, you know, I was flicking through the sport movies and thought, oh, on a clear day I'll, I'll watch this. What's this about? Oh, it's about a guy who loses his job after 35 years and looking for inspiration, he goes on to swim the English Channel. I hadn't swam for eight years. I played water polo in goal, so it wasn't like I was swimming up and down training. I was swimming five metres out and across the goal. That, that was as much as it got. So by watching it, I guess I was open for change and open for doing something new. And I think probably also thinking about the fact that I was in my late 20s and hadn't really achieved what I really wanted to, something big. I played cricket to a high standard, I played for Nottinghamshire under 19, so sort of county level, and, but didn't make it because of the injuries. I feel that was a big, a big thing that held me back. And it just always felt like stuff was holding me back. And I just didn't want to follow that um, route of doing something I didn't want to do, moaning about my job um, every day like many people do. I just wanted to find something that inspired me. And I think that's what it was. It was looking for inspiration for something. And by watching this, I thought, yeah, as a kid, every time I was injured, I went back into swimming. I remember being 14, 15 years of age, getting injured so I couldn't play rugby for the school anymore. So I went back into swimming. I'd swim up and down. No one really cared about swimming at school. It was one of those sports that if you don't do sport and, and you have to, oh, let's go and swim. So it wasn't like like it is in other countries like America and Australia. No one really bothered about it. And of course, as a kid, you want people to be interested in what you're doing. So every time I then rehabilitated and, and probably didn't fully rehabilitate, I would then go back into rugby, forget the swimming, and it went on and off like this. So I think on that, on that day, watching that movie, something reminded me, look, every time that you swim, you're not injured. It's the only sport you can do. On land, you keep getting injured. So by watching this, I thought, okay, Maybe this, okay, it's not the Olympics and it's not pool swimming, that's gone. But this represents something really powerful. It's, it's a, a person uh, vulnerable in the ocean. You know, there's no sides, there's nowhere to stand up. And it really presents a lot of vulnerability. And I thought, imagine if you can cross from one country to another, just you, your mindset and your arms. And it represented my life at the time, I think, which was, come on. Let's just step out of that comfort zone and see how capable you are. It just so happens I watched a movie about a guy swimming the channel. It's funny now, people say, oh, Adam Walker, ocean walker, you know, a born ocean swimmer, not at all. It was a moment that I watched the film and I went, and actually the moment in the film, I can tell you, when he loses his job, they take his friends take him on a drinking cruise to France and he's on the ferry and he leans over and he says to his friends, how mad would you have to be to swim this? And they all look at him and go, well, totally, why would you ever do that? And this moment in the film, and it all goes slow-mo, and he's staring out to France, and I put my earpiece down to the person next to me, and I said, 
I'm going to swim the English Channel. And they said, what? What are you talking about? I went, I'm going to swim the English Channel. And from that day, I made a deal with myself. Whenever I say I'm going to do something, I have to complete it. That's the deal with myself. So it went on from there. I then had to look what it was all about, research on the internet. Everything was trying to put you off, saying you have to swim 80K a week. You have to basically train like an Olympian, you know, constantly training, getting the stamina up, get your mindset right. And it cost quite a lot of money, but nothing put me off. I was fixated on it. And I was actually going to Australia. And when I got back from Australia, I thought, I'm going to, it's still in my mind. I just kept thinking about it. And it's funny how you get ideas in life, maybe for that second or five minutes or even a day, but you don't pursue it. And this consumed me for some reason, this light bulb moment of Frank, the fictional character, Frank, looking and saying, how mad would you have to be to swim this? And I'm going, yeah, you'd have to be pretty mad. Let's do it. <laughs> the deal with yourself, um, I was wondering if you'd expand on that a bit. So you made a deal with yourself and from that day, it's a very important thing in your life. If, if you say you're going to do something that you do it, for a lot of people, they'll think, well, that seems like a hard task, but you did something that was extremely hard. How do you implement that into your life now in terms of if you say something, you're going to do it, when you make that deal, you make sure you get it done? I think it's easy in life to say, I'm going to buy a big house or I'm going to do this, do that, and, and have all these ideas. It's often, we can say anything, can't we? I'm going to be a millionaire or, you know, I'm going to marry that girl that I spoke to or, 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 or whatever it is. You, you're, you're always... Um, saying things or thinking things for for me it by making that deal and i think at that point in my life it was like okay let's not mess about with what we're going to do you know i've done various jobs uh, i went i went from job to job really i guess because it wasn't completely in my heart and sold the job uh, but you need to earn money and sales was in the family and and all those aspects so that's that's why i did the jobs um that i did but at this point in time, when I watched that movie, I thought, no, I've, I've got to find something pretty, pretty big for my head, like something to really stretch to. And I've got to say yes to it. And it, because it was so epic, I thought it was a real cop out if I said I'm going to do it and I didn't do it. You know, everyone can say I'm going to swim the English Channel, I'm going to swim around the world or I'm going to run around the world or, you know, just words, aren't they? The hardest thing is committing to it. And actually the biggest, the toughest thing at the time was when I booked it because then I had to rise to it. I didn't know how capable I was. I'd never swam outside apart from on holiday in the sea. So I didn't know that I was capable. I didn't know whether I'd be good enough with the temperature because there's rules. You have to wear swim trunks only, no wetsuit. You're against the elements. So I didn't know where I was going to be capable of that. I thought maybe I could train myself to swim a long way, but how long's a long way? You know, all day when I didn't go past 50 meters when I was a kid. And I'm getting my 20s and people think you're a little bit old. Am I gonna be fit enough to do this? I haven't trained for eight years, remember? I mean, the first time I jumped in the pool, I swam for 45 minutes, coughed and spluttered, rolled myself on the side and thought, this is a bit of a joke. You know, am I ever gonna swim 21 miles if I can't do 40 minutes without like nearly being sick? And then that stubbornness said, no, I made a deal, I've got to carry on. So went the next day and then did three sessions that week and then I was in the system, the structure was there. It's like anything, isn't it, when you go to the gym? You start the gym off, you have good intentions and then you miss it a couple of times and a lot of people then start, stop doing it or they eat rubbish and then they get in bad habits. So it was about having structure, being disciplined 
that was why I said I've got to do it. And I've tried to stick to that with everything that I do now. So you got off the plane and from this moment you kind of decided that you're going to do it. So let's start at the first one. Let's start at Swim in the British Channel and then if we talk about the other ones that you did, but we'll go through them because there's seven. The very first, well, the very first moment you step onto the shore and you're about to do it, what's going through your mind? <laughs> yeah. What is actually going through your mind at this point? Why did I decide to do this? <laughs> it was what was going through my mind with Igis Channel. No, I mean, you know, I, it, it was it was a bit of a strange moment uh, because. You get in your swim shorts, you've got Vaseline under your arms, back of your neck, that's it, goggles, hat, and this vast amount of ocean, and you jump in. And I'll tell you what I thought was, I was, I was about 200 metres away from the beach, and I swam 200 metres to the start line. And I remember thinking, this was a long distance, 200 metres, when I used to swim as a kid. I would never have raced this. And I'm swimming it to start this swim. Now, this is the starting point. So I get out the water, and I clear, I'm on the beach, and I look out, and all I can see is ocean and no land. And I thought, oh my God, when did I agree to do this? I'm gonna to swim to another country. This is, this is a bit strange, when did, when did this happen? And what I did through training is I, I tried to teach myself to always think positive. Why are you thinking positive? You can't think negative. So why you think you're going to achieve something, you can't think you're not going to achieve it. So I tried not to let any negative thought manifest. And I got some support with hypnotherapy with that, uh, just to understand how to focus the mind. So when I went into the water and started, there was this shiver down my spine of this journey that took around about 15 to 18 months from nothing. And now I was about to take on arguably one of the toughest endurance sports in the world. And I had to suddenly just try not to let the nerves overpower me and just think, look, it's just swimming in the sea. You've done it lots of times now, you'll be okay. It's just like being on holiday. So I was trying to get back to that childhood, the love for the ocean. And even remember starting and a few times I'd look at the boat and actually breathe the other side because the other side, there's no boat, there's no pressure. It's just me and swimming, which I love to do. Or I grew to re-love, let's say. So yeah, it was a bit of an epic moment. Those first couple of hours realizing you've just started and you're swimming away from the beach it was yeah a bit of a shiver down the spine knowing what's in front of me and this big challenge and I, and I wanted it so badly I put so much effort into it, it meant so much I know that you um, built up your mindset to only kind of allow positive thoughts um, fall into place and a lot of people do say having a positive mindset can you know drive you on to be successful um, you won't even say the word cold. Um, conditioning your mind to be able to overcome the kind of the lengths that you manage to swim. Is that something which people can do on, a, on maybe a daily basis, condition the mind to overcome some tasks which seem impossible? And what was your kind of reasoning and how did you do it in terms of making sure that no negative thoughts entered the mind when you were swimming in the water? Yeah, I, re I learned a lot about myself and about the mind because when you are in the middle of the ocean, even training, and it's you and it's the elements, there's nothing else but to swim and think. There's nothing around you. You know, I remember first starting off and thinking about work. Uh, what, what am I going to do for work the, next week? How's my, my week going to plan? And that turned into being COLD because it, it had like a negative connotation, which meant that the temperature hit me. And then I would think about the distance I was going to swim or, and that would turn into the temperature hitting me. So 
What I understood is certain thoughts meant that the elements would manifest around me and, and sort of punish me. So then I made it simple. I started thinking about what it would feel at the end of the swim and people hugging you and celebrating together and achieving this massive dream and you, you make it um, you know, something really real, which is what I learned to, to understand that. I also then thought, you know, it's like feeding yourself with good food or bad food. Before, I, I always passed off, like everybody, you know, I did a job sometimes that I, I really wasn't happy with and I would, I would say, oh, what a nightmare, you know, which I never use that word anymore or really strong words that sometimes you don't actually feel that way, but it's easier to go, oh, terrible day. And have you really had a terrible day? So for me, when I'm swimming, I thought anything like this, the ocean punishes you. You let the ocean in just a little bit and it will test you uh, beyond your limits. I started seeing the ocean as, as a, a person, as like a best friend that we could get on well with, or your worst enemy, or, or with best friends you fall out, don't you? And with, with training, it was, it was that relationship that I would be under a lot of pressure, you know, I, I would be kind of suffering at times, but I knew there was a positive outcome uh, at the end of it. So I would try and be grateful. It sounds hard when you're suffering and shivering and, and I've been through some extreme times. You know, the very first open water swim that I did was in nine degrees. I got hypothermia, had five paramedics, uh, couldn't remember where I lived, barely could remember my name, and went to bed with four fleeces that night and hoped I woke up. And then the next day, I was like, okay, I've got a choice here. Either I give this up as a bad job and I was never going to be capable, or I understand the sport more, what's, uh, what's entailed, and really mentally try and tune into it. So for me, it's, it, make it simple. While you're thinking you're w warm, you can't be thinking that you're not warm. C-O-L-D, the word that I disconnected, don't say anymore. I didn't say anything that was negative because of that association with work meant that I was C-O-L-D. Uh, and I, I just told myself, I'm warm hot, warm, hot, I would swim to different versions of warm, hot, warm, because while I was thinking I was warm, that's a positive statement, I can't be thinking I'm not warm, I would go um, strong power winner, strong power winner, I mean as human beings we don't want to say these things out loud because it's a bit embarrassing, like it's an ego thing, but actually in your head you can say what you want and if it helps you, so mentally by saying these strong powerful words, these positive affirmations, as I say I learnt that through, through uh, a, who's become a very good friend of mine, a hypnotherapist, he, sh he, he gave me a few tips and I thought this is fantastic just and again as simple as why are you thinking positive you can't think negative why you think about you're going to achieve this big goal you can't think you're not going to achieve it why I think my arms are strong they're going to stay strong why I think that I've got like an engine a propeller on my feet that's flying me across and the oceans tip forward and a loved one is pulling me across anything that helps you move forward. And the biggest thing is, I always thought, whatever happens, am I ever gonna to be too tired that I can't move my arm? And I decided, no, I'm never gonna be that bad that I can't physically move my arms. So all I have to do is just keep putting one arm in front of the other and I'll get to my destination. The ocean can't keep me out there for weeks, months and years. So at some point, if the tide hits me, the tide will change. If the currents hit me, currents will change. If I'm sick lots of times, at some point, vomiting will end. And as long as I keep moving the arms, I will uh, achieve my goal. You swam seven oceans, um, seven channels. Can you just tell us 
what the seven channels were, the lengths of time they taught me, the distance and how, um, and the temperatures of the water that you were in as well. Yeah, so, you know, it, it started with English Channel. It was all about the English Channel. There was never going to be a second one. This was the goal. This was on a clear day, the movie. I was frank, you know, everything manifests into this, in this one swim. And then when I did it, I thought, I might be all right at this. I quite fancy doing another one. But the problem is I had a shoulder, a shoulder issue. Um, I'd had um, to see, well, mentally, I tried to overcome the pain, saw a hypnotherapist, worked on myself. Um, if I did six hours on a Saturday, five hours on a Sunday, I had to have the whole week off at times because I was in so much pain, loads of swelling, lots of issues. And so I decided, I looked up at the sky and said, ocean gods, please give me this one swim and I'll never do this sport again. That was my deal with the ocean gods. Could put on my gravestone, Adam swam the channel. He didn't sell kettles and toasters, you know, the, whatever. I wanted to put that marker down. So it was about that one swim. And then on the way back on the boat, I thought, you know, I know my shoulder's bad. And that point, adrenaline had kicked up, uh, out and my, my shoulder was very, very sore. Anyway, what happened was I had a scan on my shoulder, it didn't show a problem, and I spent about 15 months trying to rehabilitate, and um, it turns out I had a ruptured bicep tendon. He said to me, Adam, it's been there for a good 18 months because it's, it's attached to another tendon, and you've swam the English Channel with one arm effectively, the other arm wasn't working properly. So he asked me, he said, do you ever want to swim again? And I said, yeah, I want to swim from Spain to Morocco. And he said, no, no, I don't mean Spain to Morocco. I mean, do you ever want to swim again like leisure? I mean, leisure. I said, well, Spain to Morocco is leisure for me. And we laughed and he said, no, it's, it's really in a bad state, but I'll fix it. I'll do my best to fix it. And then we'll see, we'll have a second operation. So that's what happened. But I've still got the report that says 65, around about 65% fit. Partial success, it said. Operation was a partial success. So by saying that, um, I know I had to do something extreme. And, and when I wanted to do Gibraltar Straits, the reason the next swim came into it was I decided to rebuild the way I swam and I created this brand new technique, which then gave me hope to go on to the next one, which was Spain to Morocco, and then continue on to do Ocean 7, the toughest seven ocean swims in the world. That only came the seven after I swam the second one, Gibraltar Straits, because I thought, okay, well, if I've done the second one, maybe I can do another five. And this new challenge, which was seen as um, the ocean equivalent of the seven summits, and I think a lot of articles have put it down as, as the number one toughest challenge on the planet, because you have got, uh, there's no walls, you're in seriously deep water, you can't touch the side, you can't wear a wetsuit, it's just you alone in the ocean, and whatever happens to you out there, if you touch the side and want to come out, the swim's over. So you imagine you've got jellyfish, um, you've got deli jellyfish, you've got sharks, um, and a lot of nasty things in the water, and you're dealing with the Pacific Ocean, Atlantic, Mediterranean, so the different oceans, and there are you know, there are sharks out there and all the things that are dangerous. Um, and, and this came down to various different challenges. One is extreme cold. Another is um, deadly marine life. Another is strongest currents in the world. In other words, what you, uh, Sugari Channel, for example, eight, 18 miles on paper, but the strongest currents in the world crossing each other. 
To give you an idea of some of these swims, Sugaru Channel, they created a tunnel because over 1,200 people have died from drowning with ferries capsizing because it gets so rough there. So they actually uh, dug an underground tunnel to cross it so you don't have to cross it in a ferry because it can get that rough. And uh, you have New Zealand Cook Strait, which is, separates New Zealand north to South Island. You have more juvenile shark great whites cross through there than anywhere else in the world. That's where they migrate, they cross through that channel. So that's Cook Strait, extreme cold, very windy. A lot of times ferries are canceled because of how rough it can get. You've got the North Channel Island to Scotland, which is extreme cold. You've got uh, Lion's Mane jellyfish, which is the biggest jellyfish in the world, tentacles up to 120 feet long. Uh, if they sting you enough times, they'll hospitalize you and can kill you. And you've also got that cold. I, I have personally never seen as many jellyfish in one sea in my life as the Island to Scotland swim. And then you've got Catalina Channel, which is off uh, Los Angeles, an island off Los Angeles. Pacific Ocean, shark-infested waters. You start at night, you swim six hours in the dark where you can't hardly see your hands in front of you. And again, you've got that thought of what's underneath me or try not to have that thought. And then you've got the English Channel that we talked about and Gibraltar Straits. And the other one is Molokai uh, Channel, which is in Hawaii, Molokai to Oahu, 26 miles, the biggest one. Um, some are warmer waters, but then you get the deadly marine life. Some are extreme cold, which will potentially give you severe hypothermia, and then you have other things in there. So they're, they're all uh, around about 20 miles, but not necessarily 20 miles in a straight, it's never a straight swim. So you end up doing, in some cases, twice as much because the currents and tides can change and keep you out there. The ocean decides your fate, not you. What's, um, what are the kind of lengths of time you'd be swimming for at any given point? Yeah, so English Channel was 11 hours, 35 minutes. My Gibraltar Straits actually went both ways. I was the first British person to swim there and back. Uh, very strong currents on the way back, so it took me twice as long. So three hours, 25 there, six hours, 14 on the way back. Uh, Molokai Straits, which was my longest one, was 17 hours, two minutes. I did over 60 kilometers. I was stung by a Portuguese man of war, pulled tentacles off my stomach, lost feeling in my spine, went, went sideways with my whole body in shock, um, vomited for about seven or eight minutes. And what happens with a Portuguese man of war is they have similar toxins to a cobra snake, so they can shut down your organs and can kill you, uh, put you into this anaphylactic shock. And uh, fortunately for me, I guess I'm, I'm a bigger sort of guy and. and you know, got through it, but my spine went numb for about an hour, and, and I just remember thinking, if this is gonna paralyze me, at least let me finish this swim. I'd swam 13 and a half hours, and this is kind of how delirious you get, and, or, or not even delirious, just focus for the goal. Just let me, it means so much to me. It's, it isn't important as life or death, but you have to get in that frame of mind, otherwise the ocean will eke you out with some sort of weakness. You said it isn't as important as life and death, but when you get stung by the, the man of war, can you break me? Can you break that scene down to me? What actually happened and, and how you're feeling and, and what your mindset is after it actually happens? Yeah, I mean, that swim was an interesting one because when I arrived, I was supposed to have five days of getting used to the time zone difference because it's quite, I think it's about 11 hours different time zone, 18 hour flight. And I arrived there at two in the morning. At seven in the morning, the pilot rang me and he said, we're going tomorrow. And I said, oh, what do you mean we're going tomorrow? Apparently it's over 20 knots wind, which is very high. You wouldn't go out in the English Channel over 12. 
and he said, oh yeah, but it's getting worse later on. And I had, this was my holiday, so I had a normal job. So I, I sort of had a window of 10 days, so I had to make a decision, otherwise it doesn't happen. And I always, if ever I was given a 50-50, I'd have made an agreement with myself, I've got to go. It's that deal, again, don't show the ocean weakness. Go, oh, I'll wait till it's perfect, one nil to the ocean. So if it's 50-50, you've got to go. So for me, it was, um, it, it was about sort of committing to that and then and, and really going for it. And what happened was we met at three in the morning. This is 24 hours after I landed, 18 hour flight, time zone difference. I was two hours on the boat. I remember getting changed, ready to jump in. And the pilot said, what are you doing? I said, well, we're starting on. We said, no, no, not until it gets light because of the sharks. And then he told me every shark story that he'd ever come across. Oh, I remember the last guy who tried this swim and a cookie cutter shark came around and bit his calf and we had to hold his calf together. And uh, it came around again, tried to bite his chest. And I was like, I don't really want to hear this story when I'm about to jump in and do the swim. But when I jumped in um, and, and started, it was interesting because I was so tired for the first four hours and pure stubbornness got me to four hours. But my arms were so heavy, you know, lack of sleep. And then you know, I, I, I got to about six hours and I felt a bit better. I felt like I'm into the swim. Because normally that six hour mark is, is where you feel like you've actually done something. You've actually kind of started the swim at six hours because you could do 12 or, or more. And then what happened was I had a shark unit around. I had this device that lets off a sonar. And around about eight hours, the guy told me, it'll, um, we'll have to change it because the battery will run out. So he gave me this thing. So anyway, the light went red, which meant it was ran out of battery. So I came into the boat and, uh, and I was to replace it. And he passed it me down and he said, I remember the guy who gave me this said, be careful where you hold it because it's electrical impulse. And as he held it down to, uh, to me, I put it underwater, tried to put it on, I started getting electrocuted in the water with this thing, which actually woke me up. So that was, that was, that was a, a, a good thing in a way. Um, and then when we went to nine hours, I remember seeing nine hours into the swim, I was three miles from finishing, I heard him say on the radio, he's gonna break the world record. And then I started to go as fast as I could. And after three hours, I looked, I thought I'm further away than I was, you know, after nine hours. So, but I kept with it, I thought, don't let any demons come in. And I asked, I said, am I further away than I was before? And they shouted, well, the tide's, the tide's been against you for a while, but don't worry, it's gonna change. This is my, my training partner. I thought, I don't know where I be believe him or not, but I'll just kind of take my time for a bit. That's what he said, just, you know, just, just kind of take off the gas. I then went sideways for another two hours, so I did five hours, and then it started to get dark. And I remember what he said about, at the start, don't go when it's dark because of the sharks. Now normally, only a few people in the world have done this swim and they get them out of the dark because of the sharks, but I was so close, he left me in. We brought a kayaker in with me to spot for sharks and to keep me safe. And then within about five minutes that he was in, I, I, I suddenly, bang, something hit me and I thought, what, what's that? And it was a burning sensation. It was like I'd been scalded by a kettle. It was just agony. I'd never had pain like it. And I, I kind of just pulled out and I pulled these tentacles um, in my hand and I had one massive one, 12 inches inside my leg, pulled that off. And I was just instantly burning. And the thing in this board is you don't want to yell or show weakness, if you want to call it weakness, or pain, because they'll get you out because of safety. But it was like somebody had possessed me. I couldn't help it. I was yelling, I was like, ah, and it was like, oh man. The kaiker was saying, what's wrong, what's wrong? 
and I said something has stung me and he said it's either a box jellyfish or Portuguese man of war if you start to uh, hallucinate or labour breathe I've got to get you out he said and he was really worried and, and I was sort of yelling whilst trying to reassure him at the same time like let me carry on so I was going ah it'll be alright it'll be alright I'm okay don't worry ah. so this happened and then I just remember being so confused because every training session I've ever done I've completed I wanted to get in winning habits completing it so I didn't know what it was like to not finish my brain is just completing, completing each task, setting yourself a task, completing. But when this happened, and bearing in mind I was three miles from finishing, I was going to break the world record five hours ago, and now I'm going sideways. Now I've been stung by a man of war. Everything got thrown in my head, and my head instantly said, it's over, forget it, you're finished. And I was confused with that thought. And this is the thing with pain. Pain is there to remind you, to, you know, that, that it's uncomfortable and, and to get you out of that situation. And I sort of tried to talk to myself, and I always talk about the devil and the angel, and the devil at this point was huge, saying, let's get you out of here, let's get you pain-free. And the angel is maybe this big, tiny, saying, stay in the game, stay with it, stay with it, find a way, find a way. And so what I did was I thought, let's make a deal with myself, like I've done all the other times in training. Let's swim for one minute. Everybody can do something for one minute, no matter how much pain you're in. That was my deal. So I tried to swim for a minute. I could barely uh, be flat in the water. I was in so much pain. My legs were going down towards the seabed. And every time I swam, I touched my stomach from, from the pain of it. I stopped after 30 seconds, yelling again. <sighs> Kaikas beside himself. I then said, look, uh, he said, what do you want me to, us to do? They passed me an antihistamine pill. I'm not allowed to touch the boat. The kiker gets it in a bottle. I, I take it for, for the sting. And then I start to vomit for about seven minutes. Uh, and he says, that's a good thing. That's the poison coming out of you. And he tries to reassure me. I finish being sick, carry on. And I try another minute. I last 30 seconds again. At this point, I think a minute's not long enough because I can't even do 30 seconds. So I need to find a, a better plan, stretch myself. So I said, okay, third deal. The boat is 30 meters ahead of you. Get level with the boat. When you're level with the boat, just go past it. Whatever you do, swim past it. It was the hardest 30 meters that I've ever done. I was 13 and a half hours into the swim and I dragged my torso, basically like, you know, a, it wasn't even a swimming stroke at this point. And they leant over uh, the, the team that was on there. So I had uh, a couple of friends on there that, that helped me and the, and the pilot went to lean over and I swam past them. I sort of smiled, I sort of grimaced to smile because I had this thing of, while you're smiling, Physically, you feel better. So I try and smile through the pain. And I could hear them saying, what's he doing? Well, I think he's going to continue. So I carried on. And then my body went into shock and my whole body started shaking. And I started visualizing anything, any motivational CDs. I was very much into motivational stuff. So I heard a lot of this, you know, kind of positive energy and, 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 and go for your dream and pain lasts for a minute, success lasts for a lifetime, and all those things going through my head, and, and uh, you know, all these rocky quotes, any films that I could grab hold of which was positive. But the thing is with pain, that lasts for a second and the pain tries to take over. So I was battling with positive thoughts and the pain of it. And then what I did, I sort of broke it down. I thought, swim for 60 strokes, let's count 60 strokes for a minute and let's count it for an hour. So I started doing strokes as well as positive thoughts to try and block out the pain. And 
I said to the kayaker, how long to go? And, and it was an hour. And I thought, I can't do a minute. How can I swim an hour? I can't even do a minute. And I thought, yes, I can. I'll count 60 strokes for an hour. And when I got to an hour, I said, how long to go? And he said, 20 minutes. And I did another 20 minutes. I said, how long to go? Another 20 minutes. And this went on for three and a half hours. And till finally I was faced with some rocks and the kayaker said, um, Adam, follow me. I said, but you're there, the, the beach is there. He said, no, it's too dangerous, follow me. I ignored him and there was all these rocks coming out the ground. I scraped my leg on a rock. I had blood coming out my leg. And I remember standing on this rock, looking at the beach 10 meters away and I, I put my goggles up. Over 17 hours I've been swimming. The boat had gone because they couldn't get in because of the rocks. And I was there by myself and I had this surreal moment where I thought, I've got 10 meters to go. I've got all these sharp rocks. You know, maybe I can fly over there or something. How can I get there? I didn't care at this point. And I just scraped myself over all the rocks and I got out and I had all these lacerations. I had blood coming out my leg. I, my back of my throat was so swollen that it was choking me. The thing at the back of your throat, that was going down my throat for the last two hours and it was trying to choke me. So I was having to move my head as well as shaking with the pain. And the national press were there and they put a camera in front of my face. And I thought I better say something motivational now. And I went, pain lasts for a minute, success lasts for a lifetime. But I said it like, pain lasts for a minute, success lasts for a lifetime. Somewhere on YouTube, please don't try and find it. Very embarrassing. But I'd been saying it over and over again to myself. And there was this lady on the side. And what I hadn't realized, this lady who was uh, familiar with the channel, she was a swimmer, she'd been communicating with the boat and the boat kept trying to go to the shortest point, which cost me five hours. And in the end, because he didn't want to land his boat further down, he said it was too dangerous. She had to flash her lights and we followed the lights, which meant that I should have finished 11 hours and it took me 17 hours. Um, by this lady basically not giving up and saying no to the pilot. So I'll always feel indebted to, she's called uh, Linda Kaiser, a, a famous Hawaiian swimmer. And she was there on the beach, never met her. And she went, you don't know who I am. And I said, no, but I've never been so pleased to see someone. I gave her a big hug and that was it. And when I got back to the hotel, I had to, the only thing that stemmed the pain was warm water. I thought it was a normal jellyfish, so I was trying ice and vinegar, but a Portuguese man of war is actually not a jellyfish. It's made up of different organisms, and how it feeds is it paralyzes its prey, and that's how it, it takes in food. And um, I was in so much pain that night, seven showers. So I remember phoning, and, and I was on the phone to my, my mum, and she said, oh my God, what's happened to you? We thought you were dead. And I said, no, 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 I'm not. And she, she didn't even ask me whether I made it. She was like, oh. God is so worried about you, just let this be the last. I was like, mum, there's seven of these, this is the fourth one. Put dad on the phone, he's like, brilliant. But um, I had the shower, came out, agony, and I literally sat in the shower, there was no bath or anything in the hotel, and I was just literally shower after shower all night long. Didn't sleep anything that night after 17 hours. And then I was sore for about two weeks, could hardly eat anything. Um, so yeah, it was pretty extreme. But I remember, look, I remember in the key point, after the seventh shower, I looked up, I lay on my bed and my body was shaking, still with the pain. And I thought, the pain will subside, but the achievement will be there forever. So just think, Adam, when this pain goes away, what you've done, and what will ever stop you again. And I remember on that last part when I was swimming in, 
and what kept me going, part of what kept me going was, I thought, what will ever stop me again in, in swimming? And then I thought, what will stop me in my life? Because a traffic jam and someone upsetting you is not gonna match up to a Portuguese man of war sting, losing feeling in your spine and nearly going paralyzed. So that gave me complete perspective. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors at www.mulliganbrothers.com where all the profits go back into creating this content. You can now get the Inspire Change t-shirts, the Hardest Worker in the Room t-shirts, Rise and Grind t-shirts. We've got the tanks, the gym gear, the gym hoodies, and so much more. Use code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off the Memento Mori poster. A poster to remind you that you are going to die. It's the most motivational tool I have ever used. That's at www.mulliganbrothers.com and use code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off. Let's dive back into it. There's some words that I want to put towards you and it's, it's not a, a, a quick fire questioning, but these words, what did they kind of mean to you? If I say them, how would you describe them? What did they mean to you? So, success. Happy. Success is being happy, whatever that is. You don't have to swim oceans, you don't have to run marathons, it doesn't have to even be sport. If you're happy, you're successful. I learned that through the process of swimming. I remember talking to my dad about success. And I said, Dad, I thought success was earning money and getting up the ladder and being a director and, and all these things. But I've realized success is about finding yourself and being happy. And I've done that. For me, everything else is material things. But if I can be happy, however that is. Adam Walker to be happy is pushing himself. Somebody else might be you know, relaxing at the weekend or it can be anything. Or spending time with the family or reaching a goal of you know, uh, that, that top job. But it doesn't matter, it's, it's how you are as a person, but happiness. Broken. Broken, um, that's an interesting one, broken. I think for me personally, broken is doing everything you possibly can and, and still not being able to achieve your goal. I think I would feel a bit broken. But then, if I was broken, I'd wanna be fixed. So I would just go again until I was fixed. So the thing is when you are broken, it doesn't necessarily last forever, does it? So you can be a bit broke, you stick it back together and let's go again. So yeah, I, th I think fortunately for me, I got across all my swims first time, but I was prepared to not achieve the goal. And I was prepared to be temporarily broken, not permanently. Um, that's part of life, that makes you stronger as well. Maybe broken is a Portuguese man of war thing, but hanging, staying in the game. <laughs> Pain. Pain. Pain lasts for a minute, success lasts for a lifetime. Pain is temporary. Uh, pain's got to go away at some point, so what it means to me is it's a process you have to go through to make you stronger. Everybody goes through it, it's going to come into your life. You know, I'm ready for it at some point each day, there might be some little thing that that shows you, but you know, as long as you're ready for it, as long as you're prepared to go through it, then it'll change and it'll give you success. Excuses? Uh, you can make up as many excuses in, in your mind as you want with things. And, and as a kid, you know, I don't think I ever wanted to face failure. So, you know, I never really took on, I never wanted to take on too many big things. I think when I was younger, it probably been too much for me because I, I, didn't want to fail, it's that word failure. 
So it's easy to use an excuse for not doing something um, because you might just end up sad or feel bad about yourself. But I think we all know you can make all the excuses in the world, but in the heart for hearts, why not just, just go through it, step over that line, see how capable you are, forget excuses. We have one life. I'd rather go for something and, and not achieve it and try really hard than just come up with excuses. Mindset. Mindset. So with this sport, it's probably 80% mindset, maybe even more, maybe 90%. And you can achieve anything you want to in your life if you have that, the right mind. For me, uh, by having the mindset that I could achieve this, what seemed like an unreachable goal probably for your mind at the time, how do you know you're going to get up to this level? And your mind has to tell you or has to risk the fact that, yeah, I can do this. And, and what is the worst thing that can happen? Oh, I give something a really good go, but I just don't make it. Is that, is that really that terrible? Or do we use excuses and just don't even go for it? So I've understood that you can achieve anything if you've got the right mind. And I also believe your body responds if your mind's in the right place. After I did all these seven swims, I did ice swimming. Hadn't had much experience of ice swimming, swimming in two, three degrees water temperature. You know, in, in the old days, they used to say you would die three minutes. You know, people went in the Titanic three or four minutes would survive in seven, eight degrees. This is under five degrees, swimming a mile in swim trunks. And the reason that I managed to do that isn't because physiology, I'm made up of different blood. My mind believes and my body follows. I've always believed that in swimming and that's helped me in all areas of my life, building my business. I believe that people will want to, I can help people in this swim stroke that I've developed. I believe I can build my own facility. Why not? Who says I can't? It's all about your mindset. Don't be scared. You had the Ocean 7 and I believe that everybody has their Ocean 7. Maybe they've accomplished it or maybe they haven't metaphorically. Um, what were some of the toughest lessons that the Ocean 7 taught you about yourself and, and what you could pass on to somebody else for their Ocean 7? Maybe yeah. it isn't swimming the channels, but it's something else that they're trying to conquer, which maybe they're too scared of, or maybe they really want to, but they haven't quite done it yet. What yeah. are the lessons that you got taught from that? Yeah, and I, I think what, what, uh, what I said is a, a very good point. I mean, you're listening to a guy who's talking about swimming uh, seven toughest ocean swims in the world, open water swimming. But that is a metaphor for life. It doesn't have to be swimming, it can be anything. You know, this is, this is a metaphor. Um, and it just so happens I chose swimming from a movie. I could have, it could have been anything. It could have been running, it could have been drawing or acting or whatever it is in life, it, do, it doesn't really matter. But the lesson I learned is how much stronger I got from, from being uh, out of my comfort zone. So in training was probably the toughest part when I'm having to combat extreme cold temperatures, shivering for four hours. One training session, give you an example. I remember it was a six hour training session, three hours in, I had a nosebleed from, from the cold, I had stomachache. Um, so I desperately needed the toilet. Um, I was vomiting and I was shivering all at the same time. Nosebleed, stomachache, vomiting, shivering, and I'd done three hours, I'd only gone halfway in a training session. And I had to find a way to just put one arm in front of the other when I felt like I was breaking down. I don't mind telling you, you know, I had times when I started and, and I was mentally breaking down. People look at Adam Walk and say, he's indestructible with his sport. I'm telling you, I was shouting underwater at times. Sometimes I would go, you wanna kill me? You wanna finish me off? Come on, I'm here. 
I, I'm too strong, I'm gonna battle through. And the emotion, you know, at times you could, you know, you, you were just, just mentally breaking down. But I had to get over that line. I had to finish that six hour and get out. And, and then you forget about the pain and you go in again. But every time I did it, I got stronger. And it's amazing how six hours then became normal. How does six hours become normal, unassisted with trunks in cold temperatures? And we're talking about temperatures where, to give people perspective, if you put a cold bath to the top, just cold water, that's similar to the English Channel. You imagine swimming that all day long and you burn your body. And when you burn your body, you burn calories. You burn up to 1,000 calories an hour. So in 17 hours, I burned 17,000 calories. You know, a, a male eats 2,500 calories on average a day. So it's a week worth of food. I'm given drinks on the hour and then every half hour after that, but often I was too sick. I used to vomit a lot on these swims because you're going from upright to flat. But you learn so much. And, and somebody said to me, you know, poor you being stung by the Portuguese man. Well, a lot of people said that, poor you, or how it could have gone different. I said, poor me, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. It's the best thing, well, all that pain. Yeah, because how strong it made me. Because after that, nothing was ever gonna stop me. I mean, that, after that Hawaiian swim, I swam Catalina Channel, my shoulder packed in for the third time. So uh, the bicep came undone. I had to swim with one arm for seven hours. And all I kept thinking was swimming with one, one arm is not as bad as a Portuguese man of war sting. You've got another one, Adam. But if I hadn't been stung, would I have thought that? So every swim gave me a different channel. English Channel, I was sick over 20 times. Uh, Gibraltar Straits, I was pushed against the currents. I was going sideways, I was running out of coastline. I was in a panic that I wasn't gonna achieve it, got across them. Hawaii, as we know, Portuguese man of war sting. Catalina, one arm. Cigaru Channel, the worst, strongest currents in the world. I swam 15 hours, had to sprint across constantly for 15 hours, otherwise the dream was over. Freezing cold temperatures, island to Scotland, and then I had the Cook Strait where I had a shark um, underneath me and a pod of dolphins, and the pod of dolphins come to my aid until the shark disappears. Everything set me up, almost like it was meant to be, to make me stronger for the next challenge. But the ocean wasn't uh, soft on me, and I don't think it was meant to be soft on me. I think it was supposed to set me up for life. So I'm grateful to the ocean. My good friend, the ocean, the ocean gods, looked after me. A pain in the arse at times, horrible at times, made me vulnerable, made me look at myself and made me think, you know, are you that strong? Are you that strong to be alongside me, my friend? And I had to rise to it and find everything that I could in my body just to be on the same level as the ocean. And in the end, I think the ocean said, hey, Adam, you're all right, we'll let you get across. And I'm getting a bit of a shiver telling you this story. I remember the last island to Scotland as I swam in to finish the Ocean Seven. And I was three kilometers from finishing and I was eight hours in and the world record was nine and a half hours. And then three kilometers in an hour and a half, no problem, easy straightforward and I thought what a way to finish this this goal by breaking the world record and as soon as I said that in my head the ocean pushed me sideways and I went down the coast and I finished 10 hours 45 minutes and as I was getting pushed sideways and we then went into the, the boat went into a bit of panic you have to go faster otherwise you might run out of coastline I was talking to the ocean I said you had to have the last say and prove it didn't you you had to I always felt I'd get across at the end but I thought okay if that's how it was meant to be that was fate because a lot of people say oh Adam you could have broken records or could have got through quicker no no 
it was how it was meant to be. And I'm very grateful for those moments. You sounded like you had a, a special bond with the ocean and trying to understand it. And you, you, talk, you talk about it being a friend and you also talk about it can be an enemy. But in terms of the whole challenge for you, what did, what did or what does the Ocean 7 mean to you? A life-changing moment. So Ocean 7 to me was a life-changing moment. English Channel was the life-changing moment that then turned into six more swims that actually um, meant that I felt that maybe I could do anything if I put my mind to it. And that was the reward that the Ocean 7 gave me. It wasn't about swims, it wasn't about there goes Adam, he's the first British person to swim the toughest seven ocean swims in the world. That means nothing, you know, in the end. At the time, yeah, I thought, put the marker down, be the swimmer. You know, I did another swim. But very quickly, I think by the time I started doing Ocean 7, I thought it's not about this at all. It's not about a marker and, and putting on your gravestone, there goes Adam, he was, you know, a pretty good swimmer. It's not about that. It's about being at your comfort zone and really understanding what you are as a person. And I think that comes in different forms. You know, I chose ocean swimming because I got inspired by a movie because I used to swim as a kid and it's the only thing I could do without getting injured and I love sport. But what's other people's Ocean 7? You know, what's their light bulb moment? What's their trigger? Nobody knows how capable they are. A lot of people go, oh, Adam, I couldn't do what you do. Yes, you can, if you want it enough. And I say, how much you want it? Are you willing to go through discomfort of it? You know, are you willing to, to face your fears and potentially failure? All comes back to failure, everything. I do a lot of talks on, with, my co uh, with people trying to do channel swims and I say, what is your biggest fear? And they say, um, the deep water or being stung or sharks or my arm packing in, um, all that. And I said, but what does that all mean? What is the true fear? What does that mean, these things? Well, it means I, I might not make it. So what's the true fear? Failure. And once you can face failure in the eye, then, then you're indestructible. And I thought to me, I'm prepared to not make it because I'm in the ocean's hand. But actually, you know what? If I give it everything and, and I just do not stop and, and, and make it life or death, because I remember thinking the English Channel, if, the, if I, there was no boat here, and I had to swim to France to save my life, or save my family's life, there'd be no debate that I was a bit tired. I would just do it. So I had to get into that frame of mind. So for me, you know, Ocean 7 changed my life. Before you got on the plane, and then obviously you got off the plane and you knew it was kind of a life-changing moment for you, what was you leaving behind? What was you doing before that? So it was 2006, December 2006, put this movie on called On A Clear Day, I was selling kettles and toasters, normal guy, normal job, normal existence, nothing special about me, uh, didn't know about open water swimming, didn't know about long distance swimming, and that was it, just a normal guy, but got inspired with a light changing, a light bulb changing moment by watching a movie on an aeroplane. You got to a point where it was considering you not even being able to attempt the task. Yeah. You was in the water and they told you that you had to swim as fast as you possibly could. Yeah. And until... I can explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we start, uh, start the swim, so you, you have to get a boat to the start line. We wait at the start line for... It took us three hours. should take an hour and a half because it was so rough. We wait at the start position for better weather. It was really, really rough. And I thought we weren't going. And I, first time ever that I said to my partner, we'll go tomorrow, which was a little bit of 
you know, given a point to the ocean. Wasn't in the right frame of mind, had a lot of personal issues at the time going on. Uh, didn't know I was going to lose my job, my house, uh, all these different things. So, and my shot unit wasn't charged up, just, just stupid things. Uh, I landed a day and a half before that, so a lot of, uh, not a lot of time to acclimatise. And I had 15 hours travelling, five hours on a train, so just, and nothing was kind of geared up in my mind right. Anyway, he comes out after an hour and a half of waiting the pilot, and he says, the translator said, uh, what do you want to do? It could be worse tomorrow. I think it'll get better later on and it was that 50-50, and I always made a deal, if it's a 50-50, I've got to go. So then suddenly I've gone in the frame of mind where I was absolutely laughing, I was relaxed, that I wasn't going, then, then I'm swimming to the start line. Every other swim that I've done, I've sprinted to the start line to show the ocean that I mean business. Here I floated, mentally wasn't right. Started, gulped some water after half an hour, started to retch, was sick. I thought, this is a bit of a joke. This is just not gonna happen. And then I got to four hours somehow, and then after four hours where I was just feeling really low and thought, am I going to do this? The pilot comes in, gets the translator to communicate with me, say, you have to go fast now, otherwise um, the currents will take you. It's, it's, it's too strong. And I said, how long for? And they said, fast as you can until we tell you to stop. I said, give me an idea. They said, half an hour initially. So I went as fast as I could for half an hour, and then he went easy. This went on for 11 and a half hours constantly, until finally I was faced with a rock and it was just pushing me backwards. I remember going, I had three hours, three hours before finish, so 12 hours in, I was a mile from finishing. It pushed me back to two miles, got back to a mile, pushed me back again, and it was playing with me. The ocean was playing with me. And I started to shout at the ocean saying, I'll be here out all week, all month, all year. And my partner, when I came in for a drink, she said, who are you shouting at? I said, the ocean, I'm letting the ocean know that I'm going to stay out here all day and I think she was thinking Adam's finally lost it and um, as I was shouting suddenly the pilot smiles and he goes no current first time in 15 hours no current so I sprinted like my life depended on it absolutely everything I had and even up to 10 meters I thought don't you push me back cleared the rock stood out took me 15 hours 35 minutes of constantly sprinting the waves were so big at times it was like going up a roller coaster um, if you Google Adam Walker Cigaro channel, you'll see basically a washing machine and this guy at the bottom, you can hardly see me. And so not only did I have to survive out there, I had to sprint with, with the toughest condition. And actually, um, I met the observer five years later, the, the lady who was on the boat, who makes sure you stick to the rules, you don't touch the boat. She said, in the last five years, I've never seen anybody uh, as tough as you. She said, which was, I don't normally talk this way, but she was like, how much you went through was unbelievable. She said, I've never seen anyone hammered by the ocean. And at one stage I was breathing at the side and it was like a boxer having 12 rounds of the boxer. And I remember just gulping and just gulping for air. My partner was at the front of the boat. This was her first swim. She had her head in her hands and I kept seeing how, how emotionally it uh, you know, was affecting her and, and that upset me. Um, but to f have that 15 and a half hours of, of sheer punishment. There's two swims that people, uh, people say, what was the, the worst that happened to you? Uh, or the hardest? Hawaii because of the Portuguese man of war sting, swimming 17 hours over 60K, and also Cigaru Channel because I've never had conditions like it. And what happened, it was a freak. Um, one tide hit another tide and created a massive washing machine. They've never had it since um, to that level. 
and it was just crazy. I was just battered all the way through that. But again, when I got through it, which still I'm in a bit of disbelief myself, I had two left, Cook Straight and North Channel Thought. This will be a breeze after that. But then I had the Cook Straight, went to the Cook Straight, all confident, everything's going according to plan. 24 hour flight, get in the water. Um, two days later, and I think, okay, it's a bit rough, but I've been here before, no problem. After three hours, swallowed some water, started to be sick, really sick, but I thought I've been here before in the English Channel and other swims, it's fine. And then I was so sick, I was getting a bit fed up of it. And I looked at the sky and I went, ocean gods, to the ocean gods. I went, please give me something positive. All this I've been through, I said, and, and you're still punishing me. Show me something positive. And out of nowhere, this fin came flying towards me and it turned out to be a pod of dolphins. Like, and it was so fast, you can't tell what's going on. I thought, is that a shark? Oh no, I'm still alive. It's dolphins. And then these dolphins were kind of flanking me, one in the middle and at the side. For about 20 minutes, I'm looking, I normally swim with my head down and I'm looking at the side thinking, you know, what's, uh, what's this all about? And my neck starts to get sore, so I dropped my neck and I thought, oh, there's a dolphin much deeper there, which is moving a little bit different. Why is it moving like that? And it was kind of moving side to side. And um, I always joke and said it had pointy teeth and it didn't look like a dolphin, but obviously it was a shark. And it was sort of tracking me and these dolphins were alongside and one would circle me a dolphin. Apparently that's what they do with their young, with their family. They, they circle and, and to protect. And one was for an hour, two inches in front of my hands. And at one point I got a bit more confident and tried to swim a bit faster. I didn't really want to touch them, but just, and it, and it just kind of tipped its uh, tail just to carry on. It made me feel very slow watching a dolphin, just a tiny little movement. I'm going flat out. And for te but there was an amazing moment, I had a really special moment, where a dolphin rolled on its side, it looked at me in its eye, corner of its eye, for about 10 minutes, and we were eye to eye, and it makes me, I, I, can't, I can't even describe it, it makes me a bit emotional. It was like a, a bond uh, and that moment. And all my swims I did for well in dolphin conservation, so in order to get um, word out to protect them. And in this moment it was like the dolphins knew, and we had this connection, and it went on for an hour and a half. So I have a drink every half hour. When I had the drink half an hour, the dolphins stop. I carry on. Half an hour later, they stop again. And this happened. If you, if you want to Google Adam Walker swim with dolphins, they'll, they'll find the video. But uh, this went on for an hour and a half. And after the hour and a half, the pilot said, Adam, we're losing time because you're looking at dolphins. I said, give me a break, man. This is the best moment of my life. And he said, yeah, but you know, there's three currents to get across, we got through, we need to get through the second, otherwise it's over. So I said in my head, thanks dolphins for your support, but I really must focus. And within five seconds, gone forever. Literally when I said that, just disappeared. Since I've learned a lot about dolphins, I've filmed a documentary on dolphin intelligence, which was all about um, how they set up a sonar. So they don't need eyes to see their little vibrations. And maybe what happened is, up to eight kilometers away, they can send messages telepathically. So one could have seen me and straight away they came to my, to my aid. And I've been asked around the world, did the dolphin save you? I can never say for sure because I don't speak dolphin language, but all I can say is how I felt. I felt very protected and I'll always feel indebted for the dolphins on that day. Very special moment and words don't do it justice. I mean, I've got, you know, shivers now thinking about it and it felt like a gift. That was my gift with everything that went on. And uh, yeah, incredible, incredible moment. I've noticed that with, obviously with the dolphins coming to your 
you could call it protection and, and you speak about the ocean gods it's something that you could say that is kind of fictional in a way that you kind of you reach out for stuff which people can't always see you, you, you talk about stuff which isn't always apparent or there and it drives you forward and it pushes you through with some kind of sense of belief the word belief how important has that been in every ocean that you've been in finding that kind of yeah absolutely massive belief i always talk about the belief system that you can if you believe you can do it you can do it you know you hear a lot of people say and about this you know this word but first of all i mean having belief in yourself that you can do whatever and, and you've got to be careful by the way as well because you've got what i call emotional vampires that say you can't do it and and these emotional vampires that can get in your head and then you lose belief because they tell you you can't do it. Who are they to tell you that you can't achieve your goals? So for me, it's about having that self-belief. Where does that belief come from? Actually, it can come from nowhere. Just, I'm gonna find a way to do it. And then I'm gonna have a system, which is training, training physically, training in my mind, uh, working on my technique, all these different aspects, I'm gonna train myself. For me, I, I had to think outside the box. I had to literally start, swimming again I had to learn to swim again after English Channel by developing a different technique which has now become obviously a business which is helping other people but that was from mis even from things that go wrong as long as you've got the belief and as long as you are prepared to find a way whatever's necessary and that might be just thinking outside the box um, in a, in, and thinking in a different way but um, yeah without belief you know, but it's just so powerful. And you can do anything you want. If, if Listen, if I can swim seven of the toughest ocean swims in the world with three operations on my knee, I was carried off cricket with a bad back, I've had three shoulder operations, and I'm seen as a guru for swimming front crawl long distance and people swim come around the world to, to learn this technique. And, and a lot of people out there don't know I've got these injuries because I don't want to give it power, so I don't mention it. So people then think, oh, yeah, he's just a natural. He was born to swim this way. He was born in the ocean and all these things, which aren't true. Actually, I was the opposite, smashing through the water, very messy. Give you an idea, I had two lifeguards, two separation. A lifeguard said, this is the old way I swam, said um, the person next to you is not enjoying their swim because um, you're splashing them. And, and they said on two separate occasions, and I laugh now and I think, I pride myself on every single swim stroke having no splash and being efficient and and that was me before and people now but that was that that came from belief that came from I could find a way to get around that I believe that I can continue why can't I when I had friends and family and other people particularly friends actually saying it's not possible you're too injured <clears throat> your job's on the line you know you might lose your house all these kind of mental things why not just give up after this one swim? But I thought, no, I can, I, I can work around this. And of course, it's the best thing I did because not only did I develop a stroke, it then became a business and I can help people and it's the perfect scenario. I'm doing something I'm passionate about. So the big message is from misfortune, positive things can happen and just believing you can get around any circumstance. Life will throw you barriers, but let's think how we can get around those barriers. And you can every time. You just got to believe you can. You gave some amazing piece of, pieces of advice. Um, I'm just wondering if there's anything else you'd like to say to people out there who are who, are, who know your journey or, or listening to it and are taking inspiration from it. Any other pieces of advice you'd be able to give them which might be able to 
spur them on to do things which they don't think they can do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like like, a, like I've discussed, really, it's about always, always. A friend of mine, Clem, um, hypnotherapist, he said to me one time, he said, always keep your eyes and ears open for opportunity and, and, and light bulb moments. So I would say, in your life, in your daily life, if there's something you really want to do, but you're scared of it, think, okay, let's just go for it. Let, let's, let's do the opposite of what our brain thinks. So our brain thinks, no, you know, I'm afraid to do that because I might fail or you know, perhaps it's too much work. I don't have enough time all the time. We always use time as an excuse, don't we? Um, everybody does it. Um, I think if you're really even half passionate about it and think, I, I would like to know whether I could be a good singer or a dancer or or whether I could take that job and, and be, I don't know, whatever, an astronaut, whatever it is that you want to be, but take that risk because you, it takes you on this path. And once you're on this path, it's exciting because you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know how good you're going to become. And then you develop yourself more and more. And then it opens your eyes for more things. And then once you're there, you're getting stronger all the time. And as I say, I'm talking about swimming. I'm talking about seven swims. And, and for me, seven swims, I said, changed my life. Now I'm, I'm looking to build my own facility. I've got a swim coaching business that's around the world from a technique that I developed in order to get me across some swims, not to be a coach. You know, I, I've been invited to some amazing play, places, coached, you know, some, some amazing people. And that happened from misfortune. If I hadn't got a bad shoulder, would I have this business? If I hadn't got a ruptured bicep tendon, would I be as strong as I was? I, I learned so much more about myself by being uncomfortable and having misfortune. So my, my lesson is, yeah, you, you know, things aren't always going to go right. You'll take something on. You might feel embarrassed temporarily if you don't think you're good enough. But you keep going, you know, or uncomfortable, whatever that emotion is. You're going to get some of that. It's never going to be perfect straight away. No one is. But I'm telling you, you keep going with it, you'll get stronger and stronger and stronger. And then you might then think, well, actually, maybe I can change my life. You know, this was all about, for me, a, a bunch of swims. It wasn't necessarily going to be a life-changing moment, a different career, you know, the house that I always wanted, the job that I always wanted, and it came from watching a movie on an aeroplane. So what's your movie? Or is it even a movie? Or is it a guy who says, come and join that club, let's have a go together. Whatever that is, and you go, oh no, I'll be embarrassed. Go for it. Why is the worst thing that can happen? You know, just keep at these things, because I don't believe that there are a certain amount of people that are successful on the planet. They're not a certain amount of people. And you hear a lot of motivational speakers who've you know, struggled and they've picked themselves up. And, 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 and it's, not, it's not destined to be like that. These are risk takers. These are people on, on, don't fear um, failure. And it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or you've got two arms, two legs, you've got a brain, you've got willpower and you've got self-belief. And as long as you've got those things, but watch out for those emotional vampires, watch out for the people who say you can't do it, they'll be everywhere. But as long as you're aware of things, just keep going. And trust me, you'll get down that road. For me, I, I, I'm not a big book reader. Don't read a lot of books. In fact, before I wrote my own book, I can't remember actually what the last book I was that I actually read. At studying at school, didn't read books, wanted to be on the sport field. When I did my dissertation, 10,000 words, I thought, I'll never do that again. 10,000 words, I'll never write 10,000 words. And then I wrote a book, 72,000 words. 
called Man vs. Ocean about my story. And the publisher said, do you want a ghostwriter? Because normally sports people have a ghostwriter and you can tell me a story. I said, no, no, is, is, will it be okay if I write my own? Even though, you know, I, I don't write. Well, yeah, that would be, be great. And I wrote from the heart, 76,000 words. The book was, was between 75,000 and 80,000 words. And I wrote this whole book, didn't know how many words it was, and it was 76,000. And if I can write a book, 76,000 words, not being a reader, not being a writer, you can do whatever you want to in life. Plans for the future, what's, what's Adam Ocean Walker gonna be doing in the future? Yeah, so continue the coaching, absolutely love helping people. So I found with this technique that I've developed, which is called the Ocean Walker Technique, um, I've, I've had the great pleasure of meeting so many people around the world and, and swimming, you don't even have to speak the same language, the, the language is, is swimming, so incredible. Um, from that I realised how, how can I sort of reach people easier, how, because obviously all the challenges now that we have with travelling and, and, and all the rest of it. So, you know, I had this idea of building my own facility, so I ended up bu uh, buying an old goat farm and that was an extension of the dream, like, well, if I can swim seven ocean swims, toughest seven ocean swims in the world, why can't I build my own facility, my own lake? So that's what I've done next, is looking to build my own facility, which is, is what I'll do, and that'll uh, be a well-being centre, so that'll have an indoor pool as well as outside, and the idea is that we have yoga and Pilates and, and a lot of stuff to help people, and that's going to be accessible for people with disabilities. So I want a centre, it doesn't matter whether you're able-bodied or not, um, it's accessible to all. And I think, I see my future as helping more people with, with disabilities. I get a lot from that. I think it's something to do with the underdog. There's something to do, I think people see me as the underdog and you know, the card stacked against you and, and there's a lot of people need help, not just from a physical perspective, but also uh, mentally as well. So for me, I think, I think I'll get more into um, yeah, providing a place that makes people happy, developing the coaching, keep that going, and we'll see, you know, I, I, I plan to have events here, and I'm excited. I'm like a little kid, you know, it, it's like I've got two lives. There was Adam Walker who sold kettles and toasters, whose last job sold washing machines, and that's 80% of my life, who had this dream of of following something he was really passionate about, doing something in sport that he loved. And this last 20%, I won't say I'm making up for the other because that, I don't regret anything. I think it had to make me really driven. And, and you know, I, I, at times I liked that job, you know, there was nothing against it. But I really feel like for this, this section since really 2006, the last 14 years of this, this whole different life, um, I'm in a hurry to make, uh, make a difference for people. I want, I want to leave a, a legacy. I want to leave a place that when I'm gone, people can visit and say, that's the Ocean Walker Academy. I've been there, that's an inspiring place. That's what changed my life. You know, I was down and I went there. So we're gonna provide a place that, as I say, not just for swimmers, but for people who maybe, maybe they just need a bit of a push or a bit of a help in some areas. And I want to be able to do that and, and to provide that for people. So yeah, still swimming, um, but always excited, looking for other things, looking to challenge myself. Maybe at some point there's another swim around the corner. You know, I've done Ocean 7. I, I've done the ice swimming a couple of years ago. 
there's nothing at the moment that that is is kind of ticking the box. But if there is, maybe you know get the get the shorts back on. And uh, but I love being a coach. I love helping people achieve their dreams. I don't see that as anything. If anything, I, I, I'm I'm getting more out of that helping people than I am individually doing my own swims. I get really kind of involved with that. So that that's special to me because. What you're on the planet for if you can't help other people achieve their dreams. I'm lucky enough to have found mine. It's an amazing feeling if you can if you can do what you want to do and live the life you want to. And to be able to facilitate that, nothing better in the world. Forget money, forget fame, forget all that. It doesn't mean anything in the end. But actually being able to make people happy in some way or inspire them in some way, that's what it's about. Thank you so much for Adam for doing this project with us. It was one of our first ever projects that we did, and Adam was such an inspiring guy. He'd bought this plot of land, and in this plot of land, there was a lake. And it didn't have any water in it, so maybe I don't know if we can consider it a lake. It probably has water in it now. But at the time, Adam had dug this acre of land into a lake, or acres of land, sorry, should I say, into a lake. They'd dug holes in it, they'd put islands in it, it was this huge body of what is going to be water. Now, it was such an inspiration to see because it was such a monumental task. They'd made it so there were shallow ends and um, wheelchair accessibility, and you could swim for miles and miles every single day in natural open waters. So to take on a task at such a big size, on first impression, showed me what type of man Adam is. These oceans that he swims are monumental tasks. You know, you don't think of the journey as I'm going to swim from one country to another country. You have to think in every single stroke, every single little stroke that you're doing in the swim is the first one you need to do. And it's the only one you need to think about. And then you go on to the next one. And then you go on to the next one. And then you go on to the next one. And this tool is such a powerful tool. If you're wanting to get back into fitness, into running, whatever it is, it starts with a step. With running, it literally starts with a step. All you need to do is set yourself up, take one step, and then take the other, and then take the other, and then take the other, then take the other, then take... By the time you're done with the run, you've done thousands and thousands of steps, and you have done a run. But it starts with one step. We break down these large goals into small, tiny little goals, It's the same with going to the gym. It's the same with starting a business. It's the same in a relationship. It's the same for everything. You must be willing to take the first step. And as small as it sounds, the first step is the hardest. Adam's journey is one of those journeys that reminds me that as long as you have a motive, as long as you have a goal, all you have to do is take one step or one stroke in the right direction. Then you can regather your thoughts and think about the next one and the next one. And one day you're going to look up and you're going to be exactly where you want it to be. And then we set a new goal. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please consider supporting us at our sponsor, www.mulliganbrothers.com, where you can get the t-shirts, the hoodies, the journal, which is coming back in stock very soon and also the all-new Memento Mori poster, a poster to remind you that you are going to die. 80 years of tiny little squares that you fill in as you go along, 
And one day you will not fill in one of those boxes. And if that does not motivate you when you wake up in the morning and you see that, I don't know what will. Get the post up and the frame at mulliganbrothers.com. Use code podcast for 10% off. And all the profits, as a reminder to you guys, all the profits from the website, go back into creating this podcast. Go back into creating these documentaries. Go back in to anything that we can do to inspire change. So thank you. Thank you to everybody. We've raised over £2,000 now for my son's charity, the Jacob Mulligan Foundation. I'm going to make an announcement on Instagram very soon, but I wanted to say thank you to everybody. That is, in my eyes, I think six to seven headstones for babies um, and grieving parents around the UK. So to get to this point that we can say that and to be able to do that is absolutely fantastic. So thank you to everybody who supported us with the still t-shirts and a massive shout out to Ailey, a friend of mine in Scotland who ran the Inverness Hoff Marathon, raising over £1,000. Cannot thank her enough. And um, yeah, absolutely honoured that she did it in Jacob's name. Thank you for watching. Have a blessed and productive day. Come say hello on Instagram. And I'll see you in the next one. Peace.